Hello and welcome to another episode of Seen Anything Good Lately. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jason Solomons and on this show I'm joined by two guests who are inspired on their way by music. So I shall continue with Call My Agent. Yeah, that's what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. I was excited that the Bake Off started again. They are the fabled music writer and author David Hepworth who founded magazines including Smash Hits and Mojo, and who presented part of Live Aid, the most watched television show in the world ever. He's got a new book out about the British invasion of America by bands in the wake of the Beatles. And there's actor and director Tim Plester, who's been in Game of Thrones and in Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, and has a new documentary out exploring his own journey through the folk music of the American South. Before we go on those odysseys with David and and Tim and hear what they've gleaned along the way, I should fill you in on what I've been up to and if I've seen anything good lately. I've started with Ratchet, starring one of my favourite actresses, Sarah Paulson, alongside two of my other favourites, who I didn't know were in it originally, Judy Davis and Amanda Plummer. This is an origins story of Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, although it's, it's not really that too much, <laughs> which is a good thing, or it could be a bad thing if, uh, if that's what you want. But it isn't really about that character from Ken Casey's novel or from Milos Forman's uh, film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But it is a bit. It's really an excuse for a decent character getting herself a job at a mental facility uh, in sort of the late 40s. And it looks great. The fantastic costumes in the colours are fantastic. It just feels great, as you'd expect from uh, the prolific producer Ryan Murphy, who did Hollywood Land and, and Pose. He's behind all, all the best TV at the moment. I very much enjoyed the first two episodes and I'll definitely be continuing with Ratchet. Meanwhile, I've finished Us with the excellent performance by Tom Hollander as Douglas Peterson. I enjoyed every bit of its four episodes. I thought it was thoughtful, wistful drama, reflecting on the choices you make, about who you are and how you want to be and what shapes you. And if you can change that throughout your life, it's about being a mum and a dad. It's also about being a son. It's all on iPlayer now. And I thought it was very funny in places and very moving in others. Very nicely done, all told. I would have liked a little more about the art galleries, which is very important in the novel uh, and it starts off in the TV show being about that but the novel is very much about Douglas's sort of artistic and emotional development through seeing art in art galleries and that peters away a bit in the series in the in the miniseries but that's all I can nitpick it with I thought it was terrific really I learned quite a bit that I knew already but had forgotten I knew if you know what I mean from watching Capital in the 21st century that's a very slickly digest doc of French economist Thomas Piketty's unlikely bestseller uh, Capital in the 21st century which I haven't read because it's 700 pages and in audiobook form it's still 26 hours long so here it is in about 100 minutes just you know the history of wealth and who has it now they got it now they kept it and a bit on how we all might get a piece of it and share it out a bit better. I have to say it was entertaining stuff for an economics lesson from the French Revolution and the British aristocracy to the Industrial Revolution and colonisation and the Great Depression. It was just about as much as they can cram in there uh, in the hundred minutes and it's set to some good talking head characters uh, who are experts and it's got some good music including uh, Lords and that great track Royals which to me just sounds like money. We didn't come from money But every song's like gold teeth Grey goose tripping in the bathroom Bloodstains walk out 
David Hepworth is one of the UK's most noted music writers. He presented the Old Grey Whistle Test and Live Aid. And as a publisher, he started up magazines including Mojo and Q and Just 17 and Empire and Smash Hits. He's written bestsellers. He's got a giant vinyl collection. His new book is called Overpaid, Oversexed and Over There, charting the British invasion of bands into America following the Beatles' immediate mania in 1964. It's a detailed social history of the British bands from the Rolling Stones to the Birds to the Who uh, to Elton John and even David Bowie arriving in New York and hitting the big time over there like never before or since. And David Hepworth joins me now. Congratulations on the book. Uh, that title is a, was, was something that we the English used to say about the GIs, isn't it, when they came here to the U, to the UK so you flipped it but was that something that they felt about the British bands that went over there that they were invading um yeah well it was it was a kind of uh, welcome invasion I suppose certainly early on I mean that's the interesting thing to me about when the Beatles went in 1964 in February 1964 America welcomed them with open arms you know it had just decided at the last minute that it, it was it was open to uh, this alien this benign invasion which is out was treated for a while but then there was there was obviously a lot of, lot of friction and particularly when you started to get the kind of the bands with longer hair and uh, more difficult attitude and particularly when they strayed outside of the the safe haven of new york and los angeles into the into the great uh, the great heartland mm. uh, you know they would come upon uh, quite a lot of uh, abuse who started the long hair was that a british thing i think it was really yes when the beatles went to america they couldn't stop writing about their hair which is extraordinary when you look at it now because their hair just doesn't seem particularly long or anything but compared to the standard kind of um uh, swept back American look. It was shaggy and boyish, I suppose you would say. Then the Rolling Stones moved it on a little bit, and then you you always had the uh, the traditional American inability to to understand uh, people who weren't speaking American English, which is uh, very interesting, I think, because the 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 British grow up used to being able to interpret American voices mm. because we have so much American television and film. Whereas the same thing doesn't apply. <laughs> the other way around. No, they have. That's why they only do one terrible impression of a British person, don't they? Yeah, All Americans. Yeah, they were talking about a generic British accent. Of course, <laughs> we know there is no such thing as a British accent. Was it coined the British invasion by a particular American journalist, or or was it a, a music? Or was it just acknowledged that this was happening? As you say, it was, it was welcome. It was just acknowledged that this was happening because it was so unprecedented. You know, even Ed Sullivan and, and, and you know introducing the Beatles on the um, on the Ed Sullivan Show first time. It's very much kind of these people have come to our city. They've come from across the sea, and I have to say that we we think they're rather nice. You know, because it was like they they had no they had nothing to compare it to you know that was the that was the interesting thing and for the british bands this was a dream come true because they were going to get to go to a country that they had never dreamed in their lives they would ever go to mm. and that's the thing that i think we find very hard to adjust to nowadays although it could be that post pandemic you know travel is going to be almost as difficult 
in the future as it was back in 1961-62. So the average Briton maybe won't go to America like the average Briton didn't go to America back in 61-62. It'll be interesting to see. You, you know, you describe in the book quite a lot of the, the sort of wow factor of uh, arriving in New York, which, it, you know, to be honest, I, I still get every time I go myself, I still look up, I still uh, marvel at the bridges then you, when you cross them. The, the wow factor of these Brits just kind of going, oh, well, I'm in the promised land here. I'm not, you know, I never want to go home again. Uh, this is this is where it's at. But was it always like that? Weren't they a bit homesick? Weren't they a bit like, or, or were they so young and so full of cum that they just thought, brilliant, let's, let's, let's have it? <laughs> I, I think they, I think they, they probably the latter, the latter was true at the time, you know, because everything anybody was going through at the time, they were going through for the first time. There was no roadmap. You know, they, they, nobody had ever done this mm. before. And and what happened throughout the 60s, and Pete Townsend was probably the first person to recognise this, is that without America, it's very difficult for British bands to keep going because they have to keep getting bigger. Mm. You know, they have to find fresh, you know, fresh worlds to conquer. And America is the obvious one, you know, it speaks the same language, a huge market. And so forth. And if you don't make it in America, you know, and if you don't keep going to America, and of course the Who did this, and they still do it pretty much to this day, even though there are only two members still living, they still play America once a year. That if you don't do that, you pretty much have to fold up. And so years later, you get the cases of you know, you get the punk bands go, and very few of them make it. And the classic case of the jam, you know, he really tried quite hard to break America. And about seven tours of various different kinds and just couldn't make any impression on America at all. And so came back and broke up. And you can't help feeling that if they'd made it in America, they wouldn't have broken up. Yeah. There's just, it just provides a new world all the time. There's some mild surprise in your book, and I've always shared this, because I, I always never worked out why Elton John was so rich, why he was the richest person in the, in the world and the centre of the celebrity world. Never see and then, of course, you realise, well, he was huge in America. And we saw oh. it in the film Rocket Man, and you see it in, in your book. And it, it, it is slightly odd to me that uh, that America took to him, considering he was taking them a sort of slice of Americana that was concocted in Pinna. Uh, that was the really strange thing to me. You know, the, the breakthrough record in America was Tumbleweed Connection, which is all, it, it's a load of songs that are written completely in thrall to the band's second album. They're all about the Civil War, you know, and they're written, the lyrics are written by somebody from Spalding. <laughs> and the, uh, uh, and the tunes are written by Sandra and Pinner. And they're recorded in Warder Street. And uh, and the cover, which is a, if you look at the cover, it's supposed to be a kind of frontier railroad yeah. station, is actually taken on the Blue Bell Railway in Sussex. You know, it's like, this was what we, this was what we're now we would call cultural appropriation. You know, the, but somehow he sold it back to the Americans. Do not ask me how he did it. You know, because also like the Beatles, albeit on a slightly smaller scale, he arrived at the top. So you know, he he appeared at the Troubadour, and all of Smart LA came, and they all decided. He was great. He never had to prove himself after that, really. So it's a bit like the Beatles did, you know, a few years earlier on, on the Ed Sullivan show. And that's a very rare privilege to be allowed to do that.
when did the invasion stop? Uh, your book sort of said, well, Rod Stewart, we go on to, or you, you, you say Bowie arrives with a couple of dresses in, in, in his luggage. Or is it still going on? I don't know. You say punk had a harder time. Punk had a very much harder time because I think it's very hard for... It, it, it's difficult for punk, for Sex Pistols, for instance. It's very difficult for the Sex Pistols to arrive in America and go, it's good to be here. Because <laughs> the whole deal of the Sex Pistols was it wasn't good to be anywhere, yeah. and particularly not America. And so, you know, it's very hard to sell yourself to America if you don't appear pleased to be there. And so they never really did it. There was there was a so-called second British invasion in 1983, Culture Club, Eurythmics, Duran, Duran, and so forth, which is very much driven by MTV, because MTV had launched in the States, but they didn't have any videos, really. Whereas the UK, we had tons, because mm. everybody made one for Saturday Morning Kids TV or Top of the Bops or whatever. And also British groups had a, a strong tradition of dressing up and acted the full, which suited the MTV uh, revolution. Well, there you are sitting behind a fabulous array of vinyl, David, beautiful. <laughs> I should have got mine out, out the back there, but that's, that's, that's really impressive. But you've got more more is more there and when you say listen well everyone, everyone at the gig's got a phone and they can they can all access every single record almost ever recorded on spotify itunes or whatever yeah, yeah. the fact that when you go to a live gig someone who's curating and sort of saying i'm going to give you this this and this you don't have to sift through the morass of information or the what's available that, that, that's probably something quite comforting in being curated at what you mean in a live performance well, yeah, live performance being just one aspect of that curation so you've gone to see someone give you a selection of something that you don't have to, you know, make your own decisions on what you're going to listen to. I suppose so, but isn't it interesting that people still feel the need to point the camera at it, you know, and uh, and somehow capture it at the same time, as if they're going to go home and watch it. They're <laughs> not going to do because we, you know, we're, uh, you know, we we suffer from well, it's you know, as my children tell me, it's FOMO or whatever. You know, we always think there's something better going on somewhere else. You know, it's interesting to me that I'm old enough to have seen the change. You know, that nowadays all forms of consumption of kind of entertainment or media or whatever are made with one finger on the button ready to take us away from it the second it's not pleasing us whereas the whole deal about putting on lp records such as i have behind me is you put it on and you left it on because taking it off was inconvenient and potentially damaging and all those kind of things so you had to kind of commit yourself to things whereas n nowadays people don't commit themselves to anything at all yeah as in the nature of the technology it's interesting your last book which was the the lp book you've probably written fabulous one in between yeah it's creation that you come out with i never know which order you've done them in right that was that sort of the you know the, the lp and it's come back and it looks great behind you uh attempting a, a similar thing with cinema in that people going to the cinema have to sit there and and see the film that they have. I mean, you can walk out, but that's a sort of, you know, it, it seems a bit self-defeating. I'm wondering if cinema is going through the same thing that the LP went through and that it, at the moment, is, is disappearing. People aren't going to the cinema. I presume you haven't been for a good six no, months. Uh, no, I'm not a big cinema goer anyway, but... Um... No, I've been, I've been for ages. No. I wonder if it's feeling like you know outmoded, outdated technology or outdated experience. I don't think any of these things ever completely go away. You know, I think there's still the desire to do them. It's a question of how much grief you have to go through to do them, isn't it? You know, you know, the cinema has got to be has got to be a really pleasant experience when you get there. It's got to be kind of sensual experience when you get there. So you think that was worth every penny that I paid for.
product, you know, which is, I suppose, is a combination of the environment and also the product yeah. that you're watching you're watching on the screen. Have you seen anything good lately, David Hepworth? I, 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 I tell you what I've watched recently, which um, in the in the world of streaming, which thing called Call My Agent. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the? I YouTube? love it. Yeah. Okay, well, it's very good. And I tell you what struck me: a couple of the, 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 that and something else. My, my wife um, started watching Unorthodox, which then led her on to what's it called, Stizzle. Yes. And so every time I go down, and these are so many parts, these things. And uh, and every time we go down the room downstairs of an evening to get something, it's like my wife's watching Orthodox Jewish television. You know, <laughs> and I just think. This is extraordinary kind of side effect of uh, Netflix, isn't it? That suddenly the world's television is on your television. So Call My Agent is a French, very smart French kind of comedy, mm -hmm. more than a comedy. And, uh, and it, it wouldn't have been made in Britain and it wouldn't have been made in America. And, and, and a huge part of the appeal of it, I find, is it's French. Yes. I definitely. mean, not the language, but it's because they look, they look attractive, but in a really distinctive French way. You know what I mean? The actors, they don't look fabulously, you know, the most beautiful people in the casting book. They're just slightly odd. And it feels like Paris and you can smell the smoke. And you know, it's, the, it's the nouveau Paris, they say, you know, it's the, it's is the, it? yeah, it's the new sort of Paris that it's got kind of a sort of thrusting Macronist like eye on America and yet oh, distinctively really? French. And you know, it could be friends, but it's not, it's taken that on and it's chic and Parisian, but it's urban and it's professional and it's slick. Uh, and and you know and it's in love with the cinema, which that's why it has to be French because you have to have a decent industry where you've got cameos of Isabelle yeah. Care and Fabrice Lucchini can come on. But but of course most of the people most people don't mean anything to. And that's why I'm surprised. Every, you know, I, I watched it and I go, oh yeah, I've seen her before, but I, you know, obviously a French audience would be really familiar with. Uh, yeah, with and, a, and a people. cinephile audience like like me would be going, yes, of course I've seen him. And, you know, so yeah. you, so, and, and, but some of the jokes are pretty, you know, on the nose about their pe the people's films. They're quite, they're quite sort of as of, you know, Isabelle Huppert will be, they'll take the mickey out of particular films or sort of traits of hers really? in there. So it's, I think it's really smart. I love it. I can't wait for it's, the third it's series. It's very, it's very, yeah, of course, you, when you catch up with all these things nowadays, you find that you're already four series behind. <laughs> yeah. and they, they went away for a couple of years and they came back or something. Well, at maybe. least this little lull has given you a chance to sort of catch up if you're not too far down. Like, like Unorthodox, I also caught up with Unorthodox. Because I'm Jewish, everyone, every, every time there's a Jewish thing on, someone says, oh, you must have been watching that. Like, yes. like it's like, yes. Like it's like it's law or something like it's prescribed, <laughs> but it did take me a while to catch up with unorthodox, which I thought was very good actually. She was extraordinary, the the, the young girl in it. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. I like, but I like the idea of uh, of you know other countries' television coming yeah. here, you know, not just American stuff. I think that's a very good, you know, unsought uh, bonus of uh, the Netflix revolution. And you know, one of the things they do have on Netflix, or what I see a proliferation of, and look, I know it's been going on for years with the VH1 sort of documentaries, which you must have made, earned a few quid at yourself over the years, <laughs> um, talking heads-wise. But you're not watching any music docs at the moment, or are there any decent um, ones? That have... It's a streaming series based on my 1971 book, which must be coming out quite soon. <laughs> Uh, which has been made by the people who made the Ant and Santa film and the uh, Amy Winehouse. Oh yeah, film. what's the watch book? Is that one? 1971, never a dull moment. And uh, so they've been working on this for two, three years now. 
So this is James uh, Gay Reese and um, Acid yeah, Capaldi yeah, yeah, and that yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's presumably coming out in time for the 50th anniversary of, of 1971, which is, which is next year. Exactly when, I do not know. The, the one that well, I must catch up with it, everybody tells me I've got to watch, is The Social, what is it, Social Dilemma, is it called? Yes, I haven't seen it either. Which everybody says is really, really good and, and will make you never want to go on Twitter again, you know. But uh, I feel I, I feel I should I should know a bit about, about but they, they, these like... These hot topics like that, that appeared on Netflix, so everyone sort of sees the social media and they go, well, you know, I, I might watch that. It's amazing the sort of power that the, the, the Netflix model seems to have on people. It's like they all at once, when, when lockdown first happened, everyone watched The Tiger King. You know, is, the, almost the whole world. It's, it's like, I, I didn't get the memo. You know, I, but I was aware through social media, everybody in the world is watching The, the Tiger King. No, I, no, it's odd because it's not the result of standard marketing, is mm. it? It's not like road, loads of trails on BBC One telling you you've got to watch so-and-so, which I'm never convinced work anyway. But yeah, I'm always intrigued by, you know, my children are all grown up now and they'll all end up watching the same things on Netflix. And it's it's a documentary very often, yeah. you know. And you think, how did they all end up doing that? I suppose it's just through the miracle of social media, you know. It, it must be, because they don't even make a fanfare about it, as you say. They, it's sort of... No, they just sneak them out there. Yeah, no, they, 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 just... they, they drop it, which is, it seems a very casual approach to marketing so it's like a Hansel and Gretel they're leaving a trail of crumbs yeah yeah and it's just whereas dropped. on the other hand I have been slightly miffed by how often I've seen the damn trail for the Ewan McGregor Charlie Borman latest series about going on a motorcycle trip down South America well I'm, if I see that trail once more I shall scream <laughs> particularly bit where Ewan McGregor says and what I like about this is it's going into the unknown and I think you're not in the unknown you've got a bloody film crew with you that's not unknown it's the most known thing in the world you know, <laughs> i refuse to watch that yeah well you clearly don't need to they're doing their the, the motorcycle diaries uh, reenactment aren't they it's, uh, which is it completely known because lots of people have done it i, I suppose so. i not really i've not i'm not kept abreast of that i mean you know there's just there's just more stuff than you know i could, I write, I could write a book about all the tv series i've not seen <laughs> that i know are really good i you know i'm just sure you don't have to tell me Breaking Bad's really good. I completely buy, i entirely convinced by it. Never seen it, probably never will see it. Because you can't just dip into telly anymore. You've got to either go all the way in or not be in at all. Yeah, maybe they're the long players of uh, of, our, of our time. Oh, well, I, th I, th I think they definitely... Listen, I, you know, that's one of the points I made in um, in A Fabulous Creation is that when the LP went big in Britain and in, in, in America in the late 60s, what you got was um, the record companies were scrambling around to find ways of using this new technology. You know, why did you, why did you need long players? Well, okay, that's, that's where progressive music came from. That's where the long singer-songwriter album came from. All these things were developed very much the same way as is happening right now with television, long-form television. So, so television is being developed for streaming that would never have been developed in any shape or form for the previous will, because it just wouldn't have made sense, you know, because it's, it's the journey is better than the arrival, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that, that's the deal. That's why everybody's always really disappointed about the final episodes of streaming series. 
because they don't want it to end, really. Yeah, they don't, and and ending and endings are, are boring, really. They're not as good as as keeping it going. I suppose that's why you get Absolutely. final tracks and sort yeah, of fade yeah, out yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been fascinating uh, going from uh, from the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan all the way up to up to now, and things we're not going to watch. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, so I shall continue with Call My Agent and uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. Good, good classiness. Well, I can't wait for your the 1971 film. I, I know that lot and I didn't know they were developing that. So presumably archival and um, interviewing the survivors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it must be showing up quite soon. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it because they normally do a really good job. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Are you going to be absolutely. in it? No, no. <laughs> Ridiculous. Not, with, not unless you can get your lighting right. David Hepworth, thank you so much for joining me. Congratulations on the book, uh, which is really enjoyable and stuffed with anecdote. I there's, there's almost, you know, you could read your book and then you, you need 18 dinner parties to sort of say, did you know the Tumbleweed Connection was shot at the Bluebell Wood in Surrey? So <laughs> all of that has been fascinating. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. All right. David Hepworth's Overpaid, Oversexed, and Over There is out now, published by Transworld Books. Let's go on another journey through American music now with Tim Plester and his new documentary, Southern Journey Revisited. Tim is an actor you may have seen in many things, including Game of Thrones and with Ricky Gervais in Afterlife. He's also a filmmaker. Now, about five years ago, he and his co-director Rob Curry made a documentary called The Ballad of Shirley Collins about the lost British folk singer who'd refound her voice and started making albums and performing again. I like that one a lot. And in it, they touch on Shirley's journey as a very young woman with her boyfriend in 1959 uh, into the depths of America. Her boyfriend was the American sound recordist and ethnomusicologist Alan Lomax. And these recordings became known as the Lomax Field Recordings and they're world-renowned, preserving the voices and the accents and the music of rural America at a very crucial time when they thought they might disappear. So they're, they're, they're just sort of touchstone recordings, uh, both technically and of what they record. When Tim and Rob went to show their documentary about Shirley Collins in America, they thought they'd, you know, try and you know, slightly retrace the route that she took. So they found themselves suddenly retracing this epic, important journey of the Lomax Field recordings. And, you know, while they had a camera with them, they thought they'd make a film about it. And that is this Southern Journey Revisited. And it, we find out what, if anything, has changed since 1959. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? I'm good, Jason. You've been out about filming, right? Yes, I was on set last week which was which was great I, you know getting back to work felt really good at, how uh, are the sets these days what's going on well i mean it's a bit weird so in order to do the job i had to have two covid tests uh to make sure that i was clear so i know as of last tuesday i don't have uh, that's good COVID. to know isn't it um i may have contracted it between then and now i don't know but i didn't have it on tuesday and so i was allowed to film but you know social distancing is going on on set Everybody is wearing masks. Well, in between um, takes. In between takes, put the mask back on, which you know, in, you know, in itself is a kind of 
one of those extra nightmares in terms of continuity, in terms of making sure everyone's taken the mask off before you uh, do the test. <laughs> I can't wait for the first spot of someone in the, in the background in a mask. <laughs> I think that, I think there's bound to be one. And also, they in between takes anything that has been touched on set has to be wiped down. There's somebody basically on set who is the COVID expert. Yeah, which they're not really because they've only just really learned about it about three months ago. Exactly. I think they're they're basically whoever was health and safety beforehand is now been elevated to this position of covid meister general um and they're quite you know they're quite a draconian as well um but in the meantime you have forged this career as a director yourself uh, which yes. brings us to southern journey revisited i think both of your both of the, the the films of your recent direction the one uh about shirley collins uh that played at the green man festival and that played uh, all, all over uh, a really gorgeous film about shirley i assume that that led you to this current film southern journey revisited probably where you got the inspiration from so basically when ballad of shirley collins um had played in the uk and europe we then had an opportunity to show it in the states and we decided to organize a very boutique tour of the film in terms of basically for marketing purposes you know let's find out how many of the places we know they went to in 1959 we can get a screening and then a few of the venues started to ask if we would do a Q&A after the film so then when it became apparent that we might go with the film it was then almost like well why don't we take a camera so that's where the idea came from really to almost document it for ourselves initially but then is there a film here to be made as well and and we didn't plan it too much we it, it was very much flying by the seat of our pants kind of kick testicle scramble kind of filmmaking <laughs> and i think what we found we were we were very surprised by how many people we actually found who literally remembered lomax coming in 1959 because they were kids they were six or seven at the time and so they're still alive now and they re they remember started in new york looking at your 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 cinematic yeah. map and then we went to the library of congress in washington dc and showed it there but then our real journey started in virginia we had a screening at the virginia film festival and from there we set out on basically our attempt to retrace their route from 59 so it's virginia down into kentucky and then over into Mississippi. And they carried on into Arkansas and um, they actually ended up at the Georgia Sea Islands on the on the East Coast. So we only did three of the, the states that they went to in 59. Um, it's, it's a remarkable... Uh landscape a remarkable kind of history to it as well not you know it's, it's the less traveled bits of america for sure uh, and then you go through a lot of uh racial history because that's why i mentioned is it a black or a yeah. white music there's a bit where you certainly get a good uh tour i don't think it's a librarian who takes you around she's obviously a very good contact she's got full of stories she talks yeah. about hipster doofuses i didn't i didn't know if she was talking about you at that point <laughs> I think she was talking about us, yeah, which is, um, we knew that we were being referred to as hipster doofuses, so we decided to keep that in. I liked it very yeah, much because, yeah. but you were on the trail of, what an extraordinary story, again, one I didn't know, um, you, you found this, a gospel group called the Como Mamas in a place called Como. So, I mean, what's doubly amazing about discovering the Como Mamas is we didn't really know, uh, we hadn't come across the Como Mamas in, in our research, we weren't really aware of them, um, but we did a screening and our screening in, in Como was actually at the house of a local librarian who is the person you were referring to and the audience that turned up that night to watch the film happened to include the three Como Mamas 
And then on top of that, it turns out that their grandfather, or at least two of, I think they're, I'm not sure if they're all related. There There might be two sisters, yeah. So the two sisters in the band, their grandfather had been recorded by Lomax in 1959. That was just complete chance, Jason. We got really lucky with that. And so after the greening, we just put the cameras on and basically talked to the audience. And in the audience were the Como Mamas. And they were talking about the fact they remembered Lomax coming to their house. It's gold, Tim. Gold, I tell you. They are amazing. And, you know, they they put a lot of it down to the fact that, you know, again, you know, they listened to music as children. Well, we'll take us away slightly and then I'll come back and I'll ask you if you've seen anything good lately, Tim. So here are the Como Mamas. And that is the sound of the Como Mamas. They're great, aren't they? On Daptone Records, as featured in Southern Journey Revisited, directed by my guest, Tim Plester. Okay, Tim, so have you seen anything good lately? Um, well, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, what I have seen recently, I was, I was trying to think when I knew I had to do this, I thought, oh, yeah, I have actually seen something at the cinema recently. What was it? Oh, it was my own film the other night. <laughs> well, it's very good. Um, but um, And it was nice to see it on a big screen, and, with the, and the sound design is, is, is fabulous, actually. It's one of the strong points of the film. But aside from uh, my own film, I have seen a few things that I've really enjoyed. Um, big fan of TV-wise. Yeah. There's a show called Rami, which is about um, a Muslim, Arab Muslim uh, in New Jersey mm. comedy. Two seasons. Uh, I've only seen the first season. Rami, R-A-M-I? R-A-M-Y. It's about this young lad who who is trying to be a, a good Muslim. But he's also a New York millennial, you know. He's he's first generation, and it's it's a it's a really I, I, I'm it's it's really funny, but also really kind of of the moment. It's really nice to see something about kind of Muslim culture, which isn't you know entirely negative. It's trying to kind of I, I don't know it at all, it. Tim. That's a great recommendation. I, I shall I shall seek that out because, as you say, it's very very refreshing to see that. It, it feels like the first thing that I certainly I've seen that tries to deal with with it in this in this way. And the second season's actually got uh, Mahashali Ali in it as well. Who I'm a massive fan of yeah. his work. So he's he's coming. He's in the second. Oh well, I'm definitely anything he's well, in. So. I'd I'd pay to watch him read out the menu at Kentucky Fried Chicken or something or McDonald's or the phone book. <laughs> I'm much the same. So yeah, so that that would be a recommendation. Would be uh, Rami. I've also I did see on um, you can you can watch this online. Uh, Casey Affleck has got a film out called Light of My Life, huh. uh, which he uh, is in. And again, I, I you know I, I pay money to watch Casey do pretty much anything as well. Um, but he's also written and directed it. It's a kind of post-apocalyptic world that he's in uh i guess it has some kind of resonances with our current situation in that there's been some kind of virus has mm-hmm. happened uh, which has wiped out most of the female population to slightly different to covid but he is s- s- alive in this world with his daughter and he's trying to protect 
protect her, but also not let people know that it's his daughter. So she's pretending to be a boy. Ah, because um, because they're so scared the female that they're in danger exactly. or, or being whatever. And, yeah, and you, there's a sense that you know it's it, it's it, it's become slightly dark. This world, if you are one of the few surviving females wow. of the species. So I, I recall the Casey Affleck movie that I didn't see. Maybe. It, came out online and maybe it never got in the cinema but yeah i would call it and i didn't know it was this one light of my life and i didn't know what it was about actually so this is a, a good well, it's interesting. there's actually an interesting connection back to something we were talking earlier because a few years ago i worked with casey on a show that we were filming in canada hbo series which um, never saw the light of day it was we, the whole thing was shut down and you it will, we will never see it we shot for three four weeks i think uh, anyway, I won't, I won't go into the, the details of it because I'm probably not allowed to either. Yes. Um, but anyway, there is no show, but I did work with Casey. And so I kind of was interested in what he was about to do next. And for a while, I knew that he was doing this project. And I originally thought it was um, a film by Deborah Granick who mm-hmm. made Winter's Bone, which is also a similar story about a man and his daughter. Uh, and that film actually came out in the end, and I can't remember what it's. Um, oh, the one that's set. They called. they go off the grid and they live. Uh, they go off grid, yeah. And they live yeah, in the I forest, it. and it's with uh, yeah, uh, with uh, that great Ben Foster and ben Foster. Uh, and yeah. the, the young actress who's very good. I can't remember her name. She's really yes. good. <laughs> but that's based on a book as well. Yeah. Um, and I'd read the book, and I was looking forward to seeing Casey in this, but then it came out because I, I like Deborah's work as well, but then it was Ben Foster, who I also like. But then I thought, well, whatever happened to the... I thought Casey was doing that, but then it turns out that he wasn't doing that. It was This this was the film that he... Leave was, No Trace. Doing. Leave No Trace is the other film, yes. So, um, yes, I could recommend um, Light of My Life, definitely. Good Those would be my two, two tips. And I think, you know, probably, yeah, both slightly under the radar. I think Casey's film maybe would have come out this year if not for covid i'm not sure i think it did some festivals last yeah year. i think it did and it, and it may well have come out in some small way you know just not made it over here and sometimes we never know if they did, did I, I i'm always at the point now where i watch things tim and i'm like did i dream them because they yeah. do end up haunting your dream so i have actually dreamt them one sleeps in a bit of a funny way i find and and i think did i what did i actually watch that or did it you know did i did they make it up because <laughs> i'm, I'm feeling sometimes i need or... a film maybe i saw the trailer and i'm filling yeah. in the gaps i'm feeling so often that i need a new film that i kind of put one together in my own head <laughs> are, you, are you doing any little half sometimes what we need are just little half hour comedies or we just need a little something you know to to with the family i don't know sometimes that's the that's the the thing you think what can we just all just watch for a moment and just all come together for well i mean i tell you what i was excited about i was excited that the bake-off started again yeah i was very pleased about that because right at the start of lockdown we don't need to get into this um because i know where your allegiances lie but i'm a liverpool fan (sighs) and so when the lockdown obviously first started most of my fellow (laughs) liverpool fans were you know obviously panicking a little bit but my first thought was, oh, my God, there's not going to be any bake-off. How are they going to do bake-off? <laughs> Obviously, the Liverpool thing I'm a bit concerned about as well. Because we should say that I you mean, look like you might not win your title, your first title in 30 yes, years. That, that was your, exactly. you were worried that would be called off. I was worried the whole thing would be null and, null and voided. But actually, I was more concerned that there wouldn't be a bake-off. <laughs> well, luckily, some musics last a lifetime. And uh, the ones that Alan Lomax captured in 1959 are still on. And you keep that banner going in uh, Southern Journey Revisited, Tim Plester. Uh, fascinating talking to you about that and watching the film and hearing the music. It's a great journey. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, ter- it's a really terrific sort of uh, document. Uh, I think you should be really proud of that. That's uh, you know, a contribution you've made. Thank you. I mean, it felt like something that we just wanted to 
to to document as I, I think I said earlier but you know in the end I feel we've we've actually come out with with something that's quite watchable and uh, engaging and, and really quite kind of um, topical as well you know we made it before the Black Lives Matter movement really kind of kicked into this second gear we filmed it in 2018 during the midterm elections obviously now we've got the main elections coming up so it feels very it feels very contemporary and the issues are, are very you know important and yeah uh, and you don't duck out of them there's a lot of trump in there and whether you would yeah. vote and who didn't vote for trump and it's not easy to work out where everyone's politics lies sometimes it's just about humans you kind of think oh we're heated well, trump and he's a black or white but actually they're just sort of human beings with everyday concerns that's what we tried to to reflect really jason and keep keep the politics kind of you know not not front and center but you know talk to people as human beings and 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 inevitably it, it came up in the conversations we had i think partly because we were from outside as well we were outsiders who'd come to their uh, their land to their state so it just was just kind of what everybody was really talking about or what everybody thought that people from outside wanted to have people's opinions of so yeah we you know we, we tried to keep the film very agendaless in that way and try and show both sides and just show everybody as you know human beings with their own concerns really mm. and there's there's pro-trump and anti-trump uh, sentiments in in the film and we we tried very much to kind of stay on the fence with it and just be filmmakers really. yeah and it's a music of survival that has survived for so long as well as you say with dark and light in it so tim plester thank you very much indeed what an absolute pleasure to talk to you about it and good luck with the q and a's uh, as you thank were... you Thank you, Jason. Tour the yes. journey anymore, like Led Zeppelin you are. <laughs> and, and good luck getting back on set and keeping clean and safe. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. Cheers. And OK, then let's go out on a bit more bluegrass country music. That's the sound of the local honeys who feature in Southern Journey Revisited by Tim Plester, my guest, and his co-director, Rob Curry. You can catch the film at a few Q&As, notably one at the Rio in Dalston uh, on October the 4th, hosted by the comedian Stuart Lee. And then they're at the Cube in Bristol and they're in Belfast on the 17th. You can track the film down and its journey uh, by going to fifthcolumn.org.uk. All of which twanging and rocking out brings us to an end for this episode. Lots of great stories in there and, of course, some fine recommendations as usual. Hope you enjoyed all of that. If you did, let me know by emailing saggle at jasonsolomons.com or just subscribe and rate and, if you like, review. Always lovely to hear from you and to get your feedback and find out if you've seen anything good lately. See you soon.